New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. The legacy of authentic indigenous healing practices and traditional shamanism is disappearing. What can we do to preserve this precious human resource, which has so many gifts to give humankind in these challenging times? Marie-Rose von Ley has traveled the world seeking healers who have been trained in some of the most ancient traditions on the planet. This has taken her to such places as Peru, Ladakh, Hawaii, Vietnam, China, Nepal, and many other places as well. Every healer she has encountered gave her a gift and entrusted her with their stories. She's been able to bring these stories back to us in both her book and her film. Marie Rose Von Ley was born in Vietnam, immigrated to France, and later to the United States. She's the founder and president of Healing Planet Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the preservation and presentation of healing and spiritual traditions through the use of media. She is the writer, director, and producer of the award-winning documentary film and companion book, Talking Story, one Woman's Quest to Preserve Ancient Spiritual and Healing Traditions. Join us for the next hours. we explore an expanded view of healing and the stories of some extraordinary healers with our guest, Marie Rose Von Ley. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Marie Rose, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be on your show. Thank you. It's an honor to have you. I would like to go back, first of all, to start off, to tell our listeners a little bit about your background, where you were born and how you moved around the planet. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, born in Vietnam during the war, um, and we were blessed to escape uh, at the height of the war and uh, went to France for a couple years. And then came to America a few years later in the 70s. Um, and, and in the United States, we've moved around quite a bit. So I've, uh, it used to be really hard for me as a child to move around so much. But I now as an adult, I appreciate the lessons that it taught me and the ability to learn about people who are different than I am and to accept the things that I might not understand. And uh, so... It, it was definitely a hidden blessing. And, and now I've uh, 
been blessed to travel all over the world for my work and for pleasure. When you when you first left Vietnam, how old were you? Uh, yeah, I was four years old. You were four years old. And did your whole family come with you? Yes. Uh, we, we lost our father when I was two. And um, my mother, bless her heart, was able to get us out of the country with, you know, she was a single mom with four kids. And she managed to get us out. And uh, so our immediate family was able to escape. And, and that was wonderful. And when you arrived in France, did you have some sponsors? or? Well, you know, um, it's an interesting story. My mom had, uh, she had gone to school in Paris. And then she also was in the French army for a while. And so um, she had friends in France. And they helped us to to stay and take care of us. And uh, she actually had to leave us for a while to go back to Vietnam. And those friends basically adopted four children under the age of 10 um, and were our, uh, you know, our, our French mother and father. Extraordinary. Now, so you could speak Vietnamese, I assume, and then French was uh, your second language. Yes. And then you were learning English at some point. Yep. So, you know, uh it's just um, what a what a wonderful background in some ways to yeah. be a universal citizen of the planet. Yeah, I think that 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 early start, which was a bit rough, was such a gift because um, to be able to learn different languages when one is young um, opens up so many new worlds and so many different ways to express oneself. So I fell in love with words, and I fell in love with words in different languages that, you know, the, the different textures and the different cadence. That, um, so, I, again, uh, you know, in retrospect, I, I feel like it was such a, a beautiful gift, and, and I love listening to other languages, even if I don't always understand what's being said. Yes, truly. In your book, uh, you titled it, as I mentioned in the introduction, Talking Story. Now that's kind of an unusual title, talking story. What tell us about that title? Yeah, I uh, when I first went to Hawaii, I live there now, but I didn't when I started my project. It was the first place I went, and um, people would invite you to come visit, and they'd say, "Come over, let's talk story." So, talk story is is on one level is uh, can be story time where there's an actual storyteller and listeners, but talk story is also when we come together as we're doing right now and we're sharing and we're listening and we hang out. You know, exactly, exactly. There you go. Then now I want to go back. Like you ended up in Seattle, mm-hmm. and now you're working. You're working. In television, and in fact, you've uh, you were one of the producers of some TV series that some of our listeners might remember as Northern Exposure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't a producer on that show. I worked in the casting department, uh-huh. but uh, and then also in Sierra, I, I did uh, some production on various projects, and and then um, also in the technology world to be able to combine entertainment and technology um being on the forefront of that was very exciting and so yeah i was kind of uh living um a wonderful life of mixing left and right brain um creativity logistics technology so yeah yeah it was a really exciting time too and you were also exploring different spiritual paths and different um workshops that you were taking and you found a mentor you found a teacher that you liked 
Yes. And I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit, because I think this was kind of pivotal in your life. It turned out, after being with this person for quite a while, yep. that um, there was a big betrayal. So can you describe that a bit for us? Yes. Uh, you know, um, it's a little bit easier now. Also, I found, Justine, that apparently this is common, where there's some kind of break with one's teacher, whether it's through betrayal or just simply they kick you out of the nest. And I think that's the one way that the universe does it. And um, the teacher wa- was, I learned a lot from this teacher, so I don't want to take away from that. But we did have a, a, a time where uh, there was such a deep betrayal that I had a hard time getting over it. And, and the blessing of that was that it sent me on my journey in search of something more authentic. And just to be specific about it, that it was an identity theft. Yeah. So it turned out that you got really deeply in debt with yes. all these credit cards that you weren't weren't yours. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's interesting, identity theft. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I mean, a- after I had some time to heal from that wound, and I always think about how the universal spirit or God... Um, puts lessons before you. And when I realized that this kind of crime is called identity theft, I thought, well, what could, what does that mean? And I came to understand that I did need to lose my identity or the thought, the ideas of who I thought I was in order to find my authentic self or to let my authentic self come forward. So in this act of identity theft, this teacher who betrayed me gave me my greatest teaching you know, and and I think because of that, uh, I um, I don't know. Sometimes I, I don't really identify myself with what I do per se, or what I'm reading, or what I'm wearing. So it kind of <laughs> it kind of yeah. really taught me about who are you and and what do you identify with. I know that that your mother um, has used the phrase that you mentioned in in your book, saying. What is bad is good. What yeah. is bad is good. And in, in here, and I, I'm I'm just thinking like your superficial identity was stolen, but it it might in the way you speak about it in your both the film and in the book, you go into uh, that starting to understand that deep identity which can never be stolen that authentic self yes i yes that and and it's funny because we can read about it all day long and people can talk to you about that but until we have that feeling inside ourselves that whatever the me is we learn it first by what it's not so when i had this experience of identity theft which basically meant you know, I had nothing, um, material, all my material goods, and I was very successful. So it was a felt loss. <laughs> it hurt, um, but it was really amazing because I, um, all of a sudden, I knew. Well, I definitely know I like having resources and you know being comfortable and having nice things and nice homes and being able to travel, all those things that require resources. Um, but having basically your material things taken, and then also uh, I had a thing about my reputation. So I had immaculate credit, you know? So uh, 
to have this happen was really an ego buster. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm, a, I, I'm an, an Asian immigrant that got straight A's in school, and therefore I had, you know, great credit. And so um, the lesson was deep. It was, it was really profound and continues to be. And I, it, it kind of launched you, if I may say, I'm, and you can tell me, it kind of launched you in this compulsion to to search out indigenous healers. I mean, yes. so. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, of course I had already been reading, um, and, and part of my studies with this teacher was to study other cultures. So I love that already because um, I always kind of say I'm an armchair anthropologist. I, I just appreciate learning about various cultures and how, you know, what are the, the mores, the, the protocols, the, the thinking, the cosmology. So I was already deeply interested in those things. But when I had this happen, I pretty much felt um, disillusioned by the New Age movement. And I, I don't mean to say anything negative because I benefit a lot from that opening that many of us went through. Um, but then I thought, you know what? I, I want to go back to the roots of something. I want to touch back to something that's older than than the new age, I guess. And I, I want to touch it. I want to, to, to see what the texture of these teachings are and not have it translated for me. I'm here, I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Marie Rose Von Ley, and she's a filmmaker and an author of a book, companion book to the film, documentary film. It's called Talking Story, One Woman's Quest to Preserve Ancient Spiritual and Healing Traditions. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website. It's marierose.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Marie Rose Von Lee, and I want to spell her name for people. Um, she spells it Marie-Rose, and her last name, Von Lee, is spelled P-H-A-N-L-E, P-H-A-N-L-E, just for people who will invariably write us and say, I can't find her, you know. Okay, so... Um, we're talking about how you were propelled to to want to research and search out these most original forms of these teachings, teachings such as uh, shamanism or or 
or plant medicine or divination or these sorts of things that are very ancient in their practice. So first of all, you um, had to find these people. So how in the world did you go about doing that? Well, thank God for technology because, of course, I, you know, I went on the internet and did some research. I went to libraries in the old old days when you actually went into a library and looked at books. uh, I read a lot of books. And so I just started contacting publishers who were publishing authors who were writing about this this material, uh, contacting photographers who were in the field, and, and just started talking to them about wanting to do a documentary film on these traditions. And I quickly discovered, I suspected, but it wasn't until I started speaking to people that it was confirmed that many of these traditions were disappearing and that, of course, they had changed over time. So um, I really didn't expect to, you know, meet, find the most original, original, original form of anything. But at the very least, to be able to capture it on film prior to its disappearance, if if that was in truth happening. So then all of a sudden I became in a bit of a hurry <laughs> to get out there because yeah. it's one thing to say, oh, I'd really like to explore this. And it's another to say, well, if you're going to do it, you got to do it now, which was the feedback I was getting from everybody. So getting it from a good idea to the actual walk and walk in the talk. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So you had to assemble a film crew now, uh, how did you go about that? Well, luckily, I had already been working in the film industry, so I had my my beautiful go-to people that we had done several projects together, and we spoke each other's language, and so that part was um, easy, and then to try to get them to come because, of course, documentaries have smaller budgets than mm-hmm. the other projects we were working on, and uh, so I, I said to them, hey, how about if... You tell me what your rate is minus the fun factor. And then uh, they said, well, then we're going to owe you money because we know it's going to be fun. Nice, nice. But there's a lot of coordination in that, in their time. Everybody has their own agendas and their families and their their schedules. And, oh, man, I just know what all of that is like to coordinate that. It's a huge, huge project. And and I want to, to have you just say a little bit about the way that you all work together because the way you work together was different from the rough and tumble way that like TV production crews might be to one another and how they treat one another. You did it differently. Yeah, I think, again, um, I was so blessed to already have had um, like-minded people um, kind-hearted people. And I, you know, when I started in the film business, um, film and television, it, it, it was uh, it was brutal, I have to say. And nothing prepared me for the way that people treat each other on set or uh, the kind of um, shenanigans that go on. Uh, so I think I was naive. And I remember saying one day when it's my set, it's going to be different. I'm going to have a loving set. I'm going to have a respectful set. And um, wow, what what a what a beautiful feeling to find individuals who appreciate that and and practice that. So um, so with that, we respected each other, but also I knew that we could go into these sensitive places or rituals and practices. And I knew that the people that I was with had um, so much respect that that I would never be embarrassed 
by what they did. And I would never have to say, oh, please don't be rude or please don't say that. Um, we Again, it's just a really an, uh, prayers answered, you know, to have this phenomenal crew. And in some ways, Marie Rose, it's like to work with a crew that has the ability to disappear with a medium that's very invasive. Yes. No, that's, I mean, yes. I, I know a little bit about this and <laughs> working with different people who have egos and they come in and they're, you know, they just kind of insert themselves in what you're doing because you're going into some sensitive areas, which we're going to talk about. Yes. And you got to have a crew that is less, you know, has little ego and has the ability to kind of shape shift, let's say. Absolutely, absolutely. I think <laughs> I know that my uh, director of photography, when I first told him, you know, I'm not, I'm not really not going to let you bring a lighting kit because uh, we're going to use natural light and as little light as possible, so it's not invasive and it doesn't look like a set. And boy, did that concern him! But you know, we ended up bringing a battery powered 40 watt bulb, you know, reflectors, simple things. So I think our um, mission was to leave a light footprint. And in doing that, I really think we got so much more intimate uh, footage and experiences. Um, and and I think, too, um, the, my crew are also very interested in other cultures, so they're very culturally sensitive and curious. So to have, I think, the ideal uh, team for this kind of work, they have to be curious about others. They have to be um, excited about the new. And they have to be adaptable because we were going to be in <laughs> unpredictable conditions. And I had to, to adjust to that as well. So Exactly. And I, I'm thinking as, as you did this and you moved, moved through this, the, the, the crew just was, uh, especially like the low lighting and all of that, that, having to adjust to all of that is just imperative. That's so wonderful. And I'd like to talk now a, a little bit to, to go into a few of the stories. One of the stories I what I'd like to start with is one of the more I would call more gentle stories, your Hawaiian adventures. Um, because the this is a Hawaiian is so very gentle. You just get off the airplane and you, you feel describe what it's yeah, like. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh Hawaii was actually you know, we're doing this kind of spiritual exploration, but Hawaii was so sensual, so physical. Uh, and it was a the sense that the realm of the spiritual meets the physical there. Um, you know, and I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but you have the physical elements of the ocean, of the salt, of the volcano. And we're talking about the big island of Hawaii where the, the volcano is active. So you have this active volcano and the soothing ocean. So it was a place of very, you know, apparent duality where, you know, you have rainforest on one side, sun over here. I mean, I had one day where I was swimming with the dolphins in the wild in the morning and in whiteout conditions in the afternoon up on top of Mauna Kea. So it's, it's a place of extremes. Um, and so you can imagine as well, as well the, the spirituality and the physicality are pow powerful. Yeah. Um, so 
on the outside, it looks like it's a soothing place, but you you remember then the goddess Pele, the goddess of the volcano, is there. And she, you know, she burns off what no longer is needed, and she's creating anew every moment. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was intense. Um, I was thinking, yeah, we're going to, you know, hang out, learn, you know, <laughs> learn some nice spiritual prayers and things but it actually is a very intense place and and and, and yet i must love it because it's my home now yes so. <laughs> yes well yeah i know that you met um auntie mary fargus yes there yes and uh so describe her and describe the ho'oponopono so auntie mary she practices uh, uh the healing massage known as lomi lomi and she was struck with polio when she was young and basically, the doctors wrote her off and told her parents, you know, we're not even going to treat her because she's going to die in a few days. And her parents refused that and said, well, we'll take her home and use Hawaiian medicine then. And they did Hawaiian lomi lomi. They gave her Hawaiian um, herbs. And they also did pule prayer over her. And she, because she survived that and somehow Um, was given a healing gift she felt the need to take care of others and give to others so auntie mary and i just saw her a couple months ago she's 91 years old and uh, she just retired two years ago so she was doing this very physical medicine very physical spiritual medicine until she was 89 after having been written off as a child um, and then uh, Auntie Mahi Alani is another teacher we met who was teaching us about the practice of Ho'oponopono. And some people may uh, know a newer version of that. Um, but in, in brief, Ho'oponopono basically is the practice of listening and of acknowledging the pain of others. It's a mediation process. And when people agree to do a traditional Ho'oponopono, they agree to come to the community leader, the kahuna, um, and say say their piece, speak their grievance, agree to listen to the other person. And whatever remediation remedy is recommended, um, they have to agree to. And this all they have to agree to, all of this before entering into the process. So you don't get to leave the Ho'oponopono process until you've, you know, come to this place. And then once it's done, it's never spoken of again. And then you don't know what they're going to say about what you need to do nope. to remedy or mediate it. Nope. So it's it's a, it's a process of trust and it's a process of surrender uh, with the hope of a win-win. Mm. And, and I think that's what's so beautiful about that practice. So trust, as you say, trust, deep trust must yes. be present. Yes. Both in the person coming to it and... And then those who are presiding over it. Yeah, because, I mean, you have to imagine that one or both parties have been injured mm-hmm. in some way to need the Ho'oponopono. So, and, and, it's, and it, how it was taught to me was that Ho'oponopono means good. And so anything that's double in Hawaiian is, is more good. So mm-hmm. when you practice Ho'oponopono, you, if you're more poetic about it, you say you make what's right more right. One of the... Uh, healers that you met there which just um it just was very heart opening uh papa k yes and it just seemed like he was a very special i think he was a kahuna yes he was yes and what is a kahuna and tell us about papa k a kahuna is um is a teacher priest so um and and 
you don't give yourself that title. Your community gives it to you. And, and I wouldn't give that to him. I only call him that because that's what his community has decided that that is his role. And he practiced the healing art of Lomi Lomi and uh, Pule prayer. And he was one of the few elders that was uh, allowed to do ceremony on the grounds of the volcano. That's something that not very many people were allowed to do. So we were blessed to be able to attend a ritual on the grounds of the volcano. And you, part of that was film then, too. Absolutely. Right, yes. right. Yes. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Marie Rose Von Ley, and she's the author and film producer of Talking Story, One Woman's Quest to Preserve Ancient Spiritual and Healing Traditions. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Marie Rose Von Ley, and she's the author of Talking Story, One Woman's Quest to Preserve Ancient Spiritual and Healing Traditions. And that is also uh, the title of her documentary film. And this is a companion book. And um, I just want to say to our listeners, I did have an opportunity to see the film, and it's very, very professional. I mean, even though you talked earlier about, okay, it's low lighting and this and that, and you think it's going to be kind of funky, but it's not. It's put together and edited so beautifully, and it's so professional. It's riveting. So I just want to make sure that our (laughs) listeners really have an picture of that oh thank you yeah we um i say this in honor of my team we've actually won a lot of awards on the film festival circuit and that was just really icing on the cake yeah you know and they they did so much with very little and uh so i'm very very proud of our team that's great i want to go back to uh papa k because there was a moment i think um that moved me where he's, he was a big man. I think he's passed on now, right? He has, yes, yes. He was a big man. And, um, you know, you had some really big hug with him. And I can you describe that moment? Yeah, I think it was the moment where I realized I had crossed that fourth wall. And for a long time, even afterward, Justine, I, I was very bent on doing a very traditional more of an objective documentary. And man, none of these healers or teachers would let me do that. They were always pulling me to the other side of the camera with them. And and um, it, this happened. This was the first time that happened, this incident you're talking about with Papa K, in which they basically said, well, you don't get to just stand behind there and stare at me and, and glean my knowledge or information. You have to participate. And so something happened. He was doing this healing on someone else, and and singing and saying the the puleo prayers in Hawaiian, which was so beautiful, and I was moved to tears. So I'm behind the camera, you know, dabbing my eyes and things like that. And he just stops what he's doing, and 
comes and, and has me come over to him and says, what is going on with you? And I've, oh my God, that's, you know, I felt so vulnerable and naked and, and my crew kept shooting, of course. So it was a very interesting moment, but he, he basically said, you know, let's, let's, let's get rid of this. And you're crying. Let's just move through this emotion. And like, you don't get to just hide it. And, and he began to, um, uh, give me this hug in which he was moving um, from the, I believe it was the top of my spine to the bottom. So even though it looked like a hug, he was actually doing <laughs> healing lomi lomi on me during this hug. And then I just, I fell apart and the, the shell that I had started breaking. And I think it was such a gift because then for the rest of the documentary project, um, I was always challenged to that the way to move forward with these teachers and healers was to not be defended, was to not be shielded, um, was to not have be a shell. set apart, not to be set apart. Yeah, so you not not do that. not be set apart by the camera and not be set apart by my own desire to to be in control and to appear professional um, as a director. Um, you know, that's always a concern. We want to be professional, as you said. You know, it, this wasn't the it wasn't a class project. This was a very serious, expensive endeavor. And um, so I wanted to have that leadership for my team and, you know, for the people we were interviewing, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically, you know, that was just another identity. But spirit <laughs> spirit wanted another thing. Exactly. <laughs> but it's not that it's not professional. It was just that you really brought us in on your journey then. And it was much more effective, even though it wasn't planned. Yes. And I want to say that the film, if I remember it correctly, um, it, it kind of is bookmarked or or bookends with with Papa K. Yes, that it kind of that's that moment that yes. first happened when yes. you had to come from out behind the camera, yep. and then at the end, there's just this beautiful moment with him and his ukulele, and he's singing a dedication to all the healers that that you had been with all across the world who had now passed on. By the time the movie was yeah. out, the film was actually available. Yes. Many of these healers have passed on. That's right, yes. And, I mean, one of the things that helps me deal with that is uh, in Hawaii, they say, you know, we change address. So uh, we don't, it's not about dying or going away forever you moved somewhere else to another realm so I remind myself of that because I do experience grief when I think about that the the loss of these beautiful souls these profound teachers um who gave so much and who gave me personally so much and so um, the ability to share their knowledge and their transmissions with others through film and through the book and through these wonderful conversations has been a real gift to me and allowed me to to fulfill a promise to them so i always say that it's a dream realized and a promise fulfilled um but but you're right in terms of the the heroine's journey that moment where i come across and across that line from behind the camera to in front of the camera i i left the ordinary world and and there was no turning back <laughs> yes yes um, I want to make sure that we talk about one of the more difficult ones for you. Um, I mean, you went to Peru, and you, you uh, and and you even did an ayahuasca ceremony, which yeah. we might get to. But 
Before we do that, I really want to make sure that we cover your travels to um, Nepal. Yes. And yeah. that was a, that was a difficult one. That was a tough one, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. I mean, on so many levels, because uh, it's kind of funny. Sometimes people see the film and they get the impression that I'm this outdoorsy kind of mm-hmm. gal. And um, I, I do love nature and I do love the outdoors, but I'm not like an Ironman super athlete kind of girl. <laughs> um, you just get that impression because I got the gear on. But um, it was hard for me physically. We were at high altitudes. I'd been living at sea level in Seattle for so long. And um, so to, to, to trek at high altitude and then to have exposure to mystical, magical experiences with some level of altitude sickness, <laughs> this is kind of a surreal experience. Um, and and in in the the film, one of the the pivoting point, or you know, the the test, if you will, in part of the hero's journey was, um, I did have a very disturbing, profound experience in Nepal. And to be honest, um, for many years, I was not going to include it in the film or ever to speak about it in the book. Um, but with the encouragement of my producers and editors who said, are you kidding? This is very important. You'd be cheating the audience and the reader. So only because of that, I included it. Um, but talk about identity loss. This, what happened was um, this energy took over my body. And in the book, I talk about it, that the, the closest thing I can do to describe it was um, I've only been drunk twice in my life. <laughs> and so in a sense, it felt, the thing that was similar to being drunk was to not be able to control my body and to not be able to say things the way I want to say them or have say things that you don't know you've said. And then, you know, the next morning you're like, oh my God, what happened? What did I say? And uh, that that's exactly how I felt. Um, I actually had to go get some help about it because I had a hard time um, wrapping my psyche around what happened. And I went to study with a a Tibetan mystical teacher who uh, looked at some of the footage afterward to and worked with me and talked with me. And the conclusion from him and his team was that I had an oracular occurrence, um, which is that a a higher deity, a kind of Buddhist deity that has um, the ability for prophecy had come through me and used my body as a vehicle to come to this dimension and so in some ways you were open to it or you didn't uh, I, I you know I don't know even how to describe it but why you were chosen Do you, did you ever figure that out why why did this entity come to you well I'm sure it's obvious to other people who saw the film or read the book but um, you know my auntie was a trans channel and she worked this way in where she said that beings would come through her that and then do healing work or give knowledge and you know. so it was in your heritage in yeah, some way yeah, yeah i think it was kind of you know uh, there was a mm, an opening an opening and that's what actually that my teachers told me they said because of my heritage and my lineage that i was already susceptible to this kind of happening mm-hmm. um and I think, too, I was traveling in exploration. So, you know, when you have a, a curious, exploring mind, you're more open. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also helped. And then I also think I was physically exhausted and weak. And that also is another form of opening, 
where the physical or the material is not so strong. And so this, the energies can move more freely. Exactly. Through. Yeah. Exactly. So and now at this time, you have made a negotiation, I would say, <laughs> within in the, in these entities because you are... Uh, you you do have some capabilities of healing and of seeing, of divination in some ways, I guess you'd call it, but seeing yes, yes. some psychic abilities. Yeah, I think what's funny is I kind of always was weird that way, Justine, but um, denial is really powerful and discomfort is really powerful. So um, I always kind of put that in the kind of back of my mind but when I went on this journey when you meet people whose job it is to see you um, they, they would ask me why are you hiding or why aren't you doing healing work or why are your hands you have a healer's hands why aren't you doing that and, and they were asking they weren't saying you should do it they were mm-hmm. asking me why I was denying this part of myself and I the only thing I can come up with was fear you know fear of responsibility fear uh, after what happened with my teacher fear of harming others and um you know, not not really trusting myself to be wise enough to, like they were, to be able to use these gifts w- with integrity. Have you come to a greater peace with this now? Yeah, I, I have because it's <laughs> funny is the way the universe works. Um, uh, after I returned from my trip, my teachers actually needed help. And I was put in a position, it's in the film, where I had to go back when Papa K was in the hospital. And for some reason, I was the only one around. And so... If I would have let my ego rule, I would have said, oh, I can't possibly help you. But how could I say that to someone who had already given me so much? So I was tested. And and also when I went to see uh, the Tibetan teacher, one of the monks had fallen and broken his ankle. You know, what else was I going to do being a caring person? If I have an ability to help somebody, I better use it. So that's how I say the universe tricked me. <laughs> so, so some energy could come through your hands for for healing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So energy could come through my hands for healing. I, I had previously worked on people who had tumors, people who, um, you know, kind of psychological challenges and brain chemistry issues and just... Uh, I, these trans—I would say it's not me, but these transmissions would come through and would give me information that I could share with others, or move energy out, or bring energy in where it was needed, and not mine energy, but this kind of universal life force energy. I want to tell our listeners that I'm here with Marie Rose von Ley, and she is the film producer and uh, author of *Talking Story*. One Woman's Quest to Preserve Ancient, Spiritual, and Healing Traditions. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Marie Rose Von Ley, author of and the film producer, Talking Story, One Woman's Quest to Preserve Ancient Spiritual and Healing Traditions. I mentioned a little bit um, about your travels to Peru. So can you say something about meeting the shaman there, his paintings, and his work with children, and then your own experience with um, medicine, uh, ayah- uh, uh, ayahuasca. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I was so blessed to meet with Don Pablo, who has also since changed address. And um, he was a shaman. He called himself a vegetalisto who worked with plant medicine and um, told us that he has decided to retire from that and instead teach art to children who uh, didn't have a lot of hope or options, many of them orphans. And um, so he started a painting school. He also, I found out later, he was so humble. I found out later that he was, you know, a world-renowned visionary artist and he had (laughs) exhibited all over the world, but he never told me that. And he explained to me that, you know, he was very ill as a child. And many of these healers, uh, as you know, uh, they come to their calling because they had suffered. So many of our greatest teachers had great suffering and therefore could understand and lead us and teach us. So um, he was very sick, and he went to Western Medicine Clinic, and they couldn't help him. So turned to plant medicine and went to a shaman um, in his own village, and that's how he was healed, and that's when he decided that that's what he wanted to do. After a while, he felt that this was, he was told by the spirits that that was no longer his work, to work one-on-one with people, but rather to bring it more out into the world and to also... Um, acknowledged that the rainforest was disappearing. And so one of the ways to preserve it was through art, to be able to capture the healing, the healing ability of the plants and the wisdom of them in art. And that's what he was passing on to the children. And uh, so really in, powerful. So his, uh, his paintings actually have healing qualities about yes, them. Yes, yes. Um, he, one of the paintings he showed me, he said, see this plant, it's, it's good for healing the heart. Um, but we can't find it anymore in the rainforest around us. And so now uh, if people look at this painting and need healing for the heart, they can receive it as well. And, and it, was, it was this very profound example of, of how we accept change, how we accept loss. You know, we turn it into life. And um, so he basically didn't tell me this, but by example showed me that the, one of the ways that I could help was through art, through what I could do, which is writing and um, making films. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, you have some of his pictures in the film. Mm-hmm. You can see them. And you, when you first um, had your first showings of this film, I think you were in Australia yeah. at the time. Yes. And you had about 200 people who showed up in and what was the effect of the film on them? Well, it's interesting uh, because one of the things I had discussed with some of these healers and teachers was the idea that could I capture their transmissions, of their wisdom, their knowledge on, on film. And so I said, that's what my intention is. And they said, great, that's a great idea. <laughs> and, you know, it's energy. Why not? Uh, but it wasn't until I had my first screening uh, in at Byron Bay Film Festival and Afterward, I was stunned to see people lining up, some of them sobbing, some of them unable to speak. Uh, and they came to tell me that they experienced healing 
from watching the film. And wow, that was just one of those moments when you, when you thought, wow, it really works. You know, it really, really yeah. does. So yeah. um, that's, I think, in, in Don Popo's way by example, he really taught me that, you know, if I can't stop them from bulldozing the rainforest, some people may be able to, but if we can't, y- you know, what are we going to do in the meantime? So uh, I make films, I'm going to yeah. talk, and I'm going to write books. <laughs> Can you say anything about your ayahuasca experience? Yeah, um, again, I mean, I was, you know, I wasn't really a cool kid in school, so I really didn't experiment with drugs, or uh, as I said, I was drunk twice, and that was a little bit by accident, but... Um, uh, so for me to take a substance uh, as a spiritual practice was a hard sell to my own self. But out of respect for this culture and this tradition, I said, I'm going to do it because I was invited. So it's almost like being invited to dinner and not eating the food. So I felt out of respect, I should. And boy, it wasn't fun. And you definitely have to purge. This is not a rec. It <laughs> oh, wasn't a recreational. Yeah, thing. when people think it's oh yeah, you're gonna go on a trip, man. Uh, no, no, it's no, not fun. <laughs> it was very arduous. Yeah, yes. it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an exhausting process. The more you purge, the the more profound the effects are, and so. Um, that I, means purging, vomiting, uh, and, and everything else. Yeah. Right. Some people, most of most people will vomit. Other people will purge in other ways, and yes. so you have to be prepared for that. Um, and you know, to the to be with a shaman of integrity is very important because their job, I learned, what is to tether us to this reality while we travel. That's why having a guide there is so important. Absolutely. A very trusted and experienced guide Yes. to tether. Uh, that's a great yes. word, to tether you. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I say that because it's exactly how I felt, that I could go into these um, unknown places, scary places, uh, meet my darkness, um, and know that there was someone at home base that could reel me in. Right. And you you were told that that in this experience that you could ask questions, yes. right? Yes. So did you have some questions that you remembered to ask? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because before you start, they say, you know, go in with intention, go in with a quest, in other words. And it could be a singular question, you know, what's my purpose in life, whatever it is. Um but no, I, can't, I couldn't just have just one question. So um, <laughs> Because you're a high Western <laughs> yeah, achiever, right? Exactly. <laughs> got to know, got to know. And plus, yeah. I'm a filmmaker and a That's documentarian, right. <laughs> so I got to ask as many questions as I can. There you go. Um, but one of them, uh, as I was uh, under the influence of the medicine, I saw this this snakeskin undulating. And, and I think if you have ever seen the skin of reptiles when they're in movement, it'll catch the light and there'll be kind of a rainbow um, so over every scene that I experienced, there was always this translucent snakeskin over everything. And so I had to ask, why, you know, why am I seeing this snakeskin over everything? And they said, because we're all connected. And in, through these realms, we're connected. And all of you are connected. So even if you don't always see the skin, it's always there. Um, and that was... Uh, such a beautiful unifying concept. Um, the other thing was also I'm a, a, a very headstrong, um, stubborn is what some people would call it, woman. And they said to me, you know, the divine feminine 
doesn't work that way. And if you meet the world with your sword drawn, you will draw to yourself conflict. So put it in its sheath. We're not saying don't have it. It's great to have it. You're masterful at wielding that sword. Keep it in its sheath on your belt and meet the world with your heart bared. And you will have a very different experience and, and you will be more powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, that was pretty profound for me. That reminds me, going back to your early days, back to being in France, mm-hmm. You and a friend of yours went to Lourdes. Oh, yeah. And it seemed like um, you were blessed by the divine feminine uh, there. So it it kind of brings it back around to that feminine energy. And the feminine energy, the divine feminine that surrounds you. Yeah. You know, I I didn't realize how much I had adapted a masculine sense uh, stance in the world. I mean, I have three brothers. I had a stepbrother on top of that. I had, you know, four father figures. So I, I hung out with guys, you know, my first marriage, all my bridesmaids were bridesmen. So I had a very strong relationship with male energy and, and was uh, taught how to survive and how to thrive by my brothers. So I didn't realize that I always had to kind of put this mask on. So here we go. Talk about identity again. And, um, it wasn't until later in life that I was shown the power of embracing the divine feminine. You know, the masculine goes out and gets things. It goes out and clubs the bear and the saber-toothed tiger. And the divine feminine draws it to herself. Um, and, and they also taught me that a wise man understands that if he fuels the fire that is the divine feminine, he can be warmed and see by the light of her power. And so our job is to be that light, that stillness. Um, It's hard, though. We live in the United States. You know, it's one of the most ambitious, active, in a way, masculine energies out there in my mind. And so I have to work on this quite a bit. And right now, you know, I'm uh, the COO of a a multi-million dollar visual media company. And I have to remember that, you know, I'm not a guy, you know. (laughs) That you bring other qualities, <laughs> that you need to make sure those other qualities are present. Yes, yes. That they're, they're, they're gifts. Uh, yes, yes. And so how to have boundaries with an open heart. Yeah, that's a very feminine process and a very feminine energy. And, and I am challenged by that every day, you know, and, and um, uh, in, in partnership, in, in creation, in manifestation. There, I know how to do it in the masculine way, so... It's, it's really just to, to embrace that which I've come in with in this lifetime, which is I came as a, a feminine energy. So, Oh, I want to thank you so much, Marie Rose, for being with us today. Thank the story you. is fascinating. And if people want to know more about it, of course, there are lots more details, both in the film and the book. So I encourage people to check that out. And I want to tell people that if... They want to know more about the work of Marie Rose Von Ley. They can go to her website, marierose.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And she is the author and filmmaker of Talking Story, One Woman's Quest to Preserve Ancient Spiritual and Healing Traditions. And she spells her name marie rose Von Ley is P-H-A-N-L-E. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3561. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.